Turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 6. We're continuing, of course, our study of the history of the nation of Israel. We're really looking at the kings. We've already seen Saul and then uh, David and now Solomon. We're focusing on Solomon. He's the third king. He's declared by God to be the wisest man who ever lived. And we're seeing this time he is doing something, what we call his greatest work. He has been raised up as the king to build the temple. And so he's building the temple. It's one of the great wonders of the world. And this is the place where God would meet with his people. And remember, God is, is everywhere, and yet he would choose to come to certain places, you might say, especially for the nation of Israel. In the Old Testament, in, in the wilderness, it was the tabernacle, but now they're about to build a building, a temple that would be where God would dwell with his people. As we look at this passage, we're going to see, first of all, that God is a God of details, and that's, that he is a God of details. Sometimes we don't think about that, and then when some parts of the scripture we look at it, we go, wow, that's pretty detailed. And then we're going to see that obedience brings blessing. And it's always true. And we know also that disobedience brings discipline. So that idea. And then we're going to look at the fact that we, we today, we are God's temple today. And so as we see this magnificent building being built at the same time, we realize that now God indwells us, the Holy Spirit indwells in us. Sometimes when we study the Bible, there are parts that are like narrative and they just sort of flow and like David and Goliath and some of the events that we've been seeing and then the life of Solomon and things. And then sometimes we come to the places that are really detailed and we go, well, that's really, really, really detailed. But think about it. If you're reading the book of Genesis and then you get to Exodus and then all of a sudden you get to Leviticus and you start and it starts talking about all of these sacrifices. You go to First and Second Chronicles and, and like for chapters, it's just the listing of names and things. And sometimes people look at it and say, wow, that's just, that's too detailed, you know. But the truth is that God is a God of details. God loves us. He, he's detailed. He cares about everything. Solomon's temple was one of the most wonders, really one of the wonders of the world. It was so amazing, so beautiful, not very big. And when we start thinking about huge buildings and things, it wasn't that big, but we're going to talk about it. And so we, we'll come to it, we'll look at some. He's going to give us some information about the size of it. We'll talk a little bit about it. And in chapter 6 and 7 is where we deal with a lot of that. In fact, chapter 6 and 7 is where Solomon builds the temple and his palace. So we're going to be seeing that. It's going to take us uh, several weeks to go through that. And we'll, we'll probably uh, go through most of chapter 6. And before we get to 7, we'll probably have some Christmas messages. And then we come back after the new year and keep going going through this. There's a lot there. What we want to do is we, we want to understand, have an understanding that God is a God of details. And not only did God care about how the temple was built, but he cares about every detail of our lives. And sometimes we don't think that way. Sometimes we say, oh, God doesn't care about me, or oh, God doesn't care about that, or this is not important, or just, listen, God knows everything. God cares about everything. God works everything according to the counsel of his will. He loves us more than we can imagine. He made us. He designed us in our mother's womb. In fact, it says we're a tapestry, Psalm 139. He knows every aspect about us. He loves us. He knows us. He's concerned about us. So he does care about the details. Well, as we begin, let's think about where we are. Solomon is the king. It's been given by God to him wisdom, great wisdom. He's the wisest person who has ever lived, up to that point, ever lived, and then ever lived since then. He has riches and honor. His reputation has spread everywhere. And then we realize that Solomon has been raised up by God to build the temple for God. And let me just say something. God doesn't dwell in a temple. He doesn't dwell in that temple. 
that was a place where he'd make himself known to the nation of Israel. And so this building is going to be magnificent. And Solomon realizes his life, his, his purpose in life is to do this. So last time we saw he went to a guy by the name of Hiram, king of Tyre, the city of Tyre. He was the king of that city, and they cut down big trees and everything. So he went to Hiram and said, I need the big cedar trees and things to build the temple. And so they made an agreement, and that Hiram would send trees down, and Solomon would give him food. And we find that there were 180,000 people helping to build the temple. You know, we talked about last week that nobody's a long-range Christian, Christian and you don't do your ministry by yourself. In fact, he put us in the body of Christ, all of us with gifts, talents, and abilities, so we could all work together and do that sort of thing. And, and so we're seeing that Solomon has gone to Hiram and said, I need your help. So they're going to send the trees down. They're going to build this thing. It's going to be amazing. Look at chapter 5. If you would just look at, at the very end of chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, it says, Then the king commanded that they would quarry Quarry uh, great stones, costly stones, to lay the foundation of the house with cut stone. So Solomon's builders and Hiram's builders and the Gebulites cut them and prepared the timbers and the stones to build the house. They're getting everything ready to build this magnificent building. Listen, it's beyond what we could imagine. And so here's the outline of the passage. Uh, in fact, that's the whole chapter. Uh, we're only going to go through uh, about verse 22 today just to get through it. And there's some verses we're not going to go much detail on. I just want you to see how it fits together. There's the floor pan of the temple. There's God's promise to Solomon. There's some descriptions of the, of the, the big sanctuary, the, out, the big, you know, the inner one, the outer one. I'm going to show you some different things. And so it all fits together. So let's Let's begin, and let me, let me just put this up. The, the cost of the temple is beyond what we could imagine. You realize that there are going to be rooms in that temple that are completely covered with gold. And you, you, what does an ounce of gold cost? I mean, even today, what would you say? What would be gold? I mean, think of a room that's a, a big room, and it's completely it's like he painted it with gold. And it's not just one room, it's two or three rooms, and it's a bunch of items. And so the cost of this would be magnificent. If we could have, got, have walked and gone and looked at the temple that Solomon built, we would have said, I've never seen anything like this. It's just beyond, beyond it. So I want to give you, so go to chapter 6, look at verse 1. He gives us the history, the background. Now it came about in the 480th year after the sons of Israel came out of the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Zeb, which is the second month, that he began to build the house of the Lord. I want to stop before we get uh, uh, into that, but notice the very last word. He began to build the house of the Lord. It's L-O-R-D. It's all capitals, which means it's the personal name of God. He said, we're going to build this house for God. That's what it's going to be. Now, he said, it was 480 years after the nation of Israel came out of Egypt. Well, how did all that fit together? Let me just show you something. Solomon usually began, but most people believe he began reigning in 971 BC to 931. He did four years, uh, 40 years. The fourth year of his reign would have been about 966. You could look at that and say, that looks like it ought to be the fifth year. Most of the time when kings took over, the first year wasn't counted. It didn't count in their reign. So uh, probably uh, either 970 or there's about where it is. And if you go back 480 years, Years, that's 1446 BC. Now, let me just tell you why I think that's important. If you've ever studied scripture, you realize that conservative scholars 
all believe Israel came out of Egypt in 1446 B.C. Liberal scholars who don't believe the Bible said that Israel never came out. They didn't come out by uh, parting of the Red Sea. They weren't slaves there. They dwindle out over the years, and they think that they came in about 1,200 So when you look at the Scripture, according to what Scripture says, it was about 1446 B.C. that they came out. And the conservative, the truth of the Scripture always, always is right. So anyway, what happened? And and so uh, they're going to build the temple. It was the fourth year of his reign. First of all, you got to know something, that no building, no tent, no tabernacle could contain God. Nothing contains God. When Solomon builds this building... We're going to see that he's going to stand, he's going to come to a platform, he's going to stand out in front of everybody, and he's going to say, oh God, ruler of heavens and earth, the heavens and the earth cannot contain you, much less this building that I have built. So don't think that God dwelt in that temple. God made his presence known in that temple just like he did in the tabernacle. So God gave them instructions to build the temple. He gave instructions to build the tabernacle. Now, let me remind you of something. Do you remember when the nation of Israel came out of Egypt and they crossed the Red Sea and then they went to Mount Sinai and they were at Mount Sinai for one year, at least a year. While they were there, they got the law and God told them to build a tabernacle, which means temporary place, to put the Ark of the Covenant and to have where he would dwell among them. Now, this is what the tabernacle looked like. It was, te- it was temporary. It was a tent. This is a thing around it which is made out of skin and everything. This is like a big tent. And inside there were two different rooms. Inside there. Let me just kind of, here's how it looked. Out front was where they had the burnt offering, and then they had the laver, and then they would go into what they call the holy place. And on this side was bread. On that side was a lampstand. On that side was the altar. Then they had a veil, and then they had the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. We'll talk more about that in a minute. That was a temporary place, and they carried it around. God would say, move. They'd take everything down, cover it all up, and carry it around. Now, after all these years, God says, I'm going to let you build a temple for me. David wanted to build it, but God said, you know, you're a man of war. has to be a man of peace. And that's why Solomon, the name Solomon, comes from Shalom, which means peace. He said, you're going to get to build it. So so Solomon's going to build it. Now, just like God gave instructions to build that building right there, that tabernacle, God's going to give instructions to build the temple. Now, let's talk about the temple for just a second. Let's get a little history. Into the Jewish people that right now there have been at least three temples. The first temple is the one that Solomon built around 966 BC. The first temple, it was beautiful. It was incredible. That's the sort of a drawing of what a lot of people think it looked like. There was the altar out front. There's the place where they washed. There was some lamp stems. uh, I mean, some washing things there. They would go into the front room. That was the holy place. And into the back room, that temple was there uh, until the Babylonians destroyed it. That was, that was his temple. Then after they came back from the captivity, a temple was built by Ezra. We call it Zerubbabel's temple because Zerubbabel was the priest who helped build that temple, the return of the people. We don't have a good drawing of this at all. Some people have drawn this up. It looks very similar to Solomon's, but we know this, that when they built it, it was not near as big. It was not uh, as, as beautiful. It wasn't covered over with gold. It didn't have all the stuff. And some of the people who had actually lived and saw Solomon's temple, when they saw Zerubbabel's temple, they cried. 
They wept. And, and God sent word to them and says, Don't, it's not how special the building is. It's the fact that I would dwell among the people. Years later, by the, by a man by the name of Herod, King Herod, came in and he rebuilt the temple, took the temple that was there, made it much bigger, grander, did all kind of things. Now, he did that. He, this is the same man that the night that Jesus was born, or that when Jesus was born, this is the same man that said, find out where he is, and I'll kill him. He's the guy that killed all the babies two years old and under. So he's not a good man, but he was a famous builder, and he wanted to keep the Jews happy. So he said, I will build a temple for you. And this is what it looked like. We've got drawings, all kinds of things of it. Many of those are out there. This is the temple. Right here actually is the temple that they had. And then there's a front part that was added on. Then all of this wall is all the way around. This back wall right there, some believe that what they call the Wailing Wall, when the Jewish people, you've heard of the people going to the Wailing Wall, some believe that that's the Wailing Wall. That's what's left after the Romans destroyed it all. If you notice, there's a big open space. Gentiles could come and come hang around all in here. Jews could come into there. Priests could come into there. If you can't see it, but there's a corner here and then there's a corner there. That corner, which is cut off of the picture, is called the pinnacle of the temple. If you go to, I've been there, if you go there and look down about 380 something feet down, it's that far down. That's the place that the Bible said that the devil took Jesus and said, jump off the pinnacle of the temple and you won't get hurt and everybody will see that you're God. And Jesus said, we don't put God through the test. So that's the temple area that the one that Herod had built and made it just beautiful. And it was, it was an amazing, an amazing thing. Now that temple got destroyed. It got destroyed by the, the Babylonians and, uh, it's, it's, and then, the, I'm sorry, not that, that the Romans came in in A.D. 70 and destroyed that temple. And you know, a lot of times at the time of Jesus, they would say something like, oh, God would never allow the temple to be destroyed. Well, if they just thought back a few years, he allowed the very first temple to be destroyed. In A.D. 70, the Romans came in and destroyed this temple, tore, just to the ground, tore everything to pieces. Now, there's going to be another temple. It's called, we call it the Antichrist temple. When Jesus comes and gets us, and we're taking off the face of the earth, there's going to be a time period in the earth called the tribulation. Sometime during that tribulation, or even before the tribulation, God is going to allow the Jewish people to build a temple. Now, we call it the Antichrist temple because right in the middle of the seven-year tribulation, the Antichrist goes into the temple that is built in Jerusalem, puts his idol there, and claims to be God. That's why we call it the Antichrist temple. Jesus is going to come back, get rid of everything, and there'll be a kingdom. During the kingdom, there's going to be a future temple for the Lord. It's found in Ezekiel chapters 40 through 48. There's the description of the temple. Here's the best drawing I could find. It's not very good, but it's the best drawing supposedly of Ezekiel's temple. It's really big as well. The temple parts here, but the walls all the way around that. So those are the temples that have already been three. There's going to be one during the tribulation and there'll be one during the kingdom. During the eternal state, there will be no, no temple. God himself is the temple. God says there'll be no need for the temple because he will dwell among all people. So that's what we're going to see. And so there's a, that, that's a lot of good stuff that we're seeing. Now, you may look at that and say, well, okay, so the first temple was destroyed. Second temple got built up. The third temple got destroyed. Where does God dwell now? He dwells in us. 
we're the temple of the Holy Spirit who's in us. We are the temple of God. Do you realize that you who believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life, God lives in you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. And, and, and you, you, what do you not know? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. is in you. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Wow. So this magnificent building that we're seeing him build, it's nothing compared to you. God lives in you. He didn't live in that temple. He just made his presence known in that temple. Wow. Unbelievable. Now, look at verse 2. So, as for the house which King Solomon built for the Lord, his, the length was uh, 60 cubits, its width 20 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. A cubit is about 18 inches. We're going to see more about the dimensions. But by the way, uh, something that we, he didn't tell us here in 1 Kings, but he tells us in Second Chronicles that he built the temple on Mount Moriah or Mount Zion. That's where he built it. Now, that is exactly the same place that when Abraham offered up his son Isaac all those years before, that's exactly the same place. So as a father lifted up a son years ago, Abraham to Isaac, God the Heavenly Father lifted up his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us in the same place. Now, the, the building is 90 by 30 by 45. That's the temple itself. It's twice as big as the tabernacle that I showed you that drawing earlier. So it's a little bit bigger, uh, twice as big. And we're going to sh- show you some pictures in a second. But let's go, let's go quickly. Verses 3 through 10 give some description. So look at verse 3. The porch in front of the nave of the house was 20 cubits in length, corresponding to the width of the house, and its depth along the front of the house was 10 cubits. We say, what does all that mean? Well, here's what we see. This is a porch. This is the Solomon's temple, best we can say. Here's the whole aspect. There's a porch in front. There's two big, big pillars there. We'll talk more about that later. There was where the altar was. That's where they washed. They would come in. This is the holy room, the holy of holies. This is just the eastern gate. This is the place that people could walk all around. These are chambers. We're going to talk more about that in just a minute. But that's the place. So he's describing this porch right here. That's all he's describing. And, and this is in the, the temple area. And uh, I think there's another slide. Yeah, this is kind of another view of it. This is the altar out front. That's the two pillars, and that's the porch right there, that whole thing. All he's doing is describing that in verse 3. And then in verse 4, notice it says, And for the house he made windows with frames. We, we don't know. We don't know what they look like. We don't know much about it. And then he goes on in verses 5 and 6 and says, Around the wall of the house he built stories around it, and basically... There's three stories, and we don't have to read verses 5 and 6, but what we find is he built around the temple three stories, a a room, another room above, and another room above, three stories high, and there was a stairway that would wind up, and so you could go to one room, you could go up to the next room, go to the next room. They were around the sides of the temple. Well, what were they for? Well, they were for the priest. Sometimes the priest could live in those places. Sometimes the priest brought things and kept things in those places. So all he's saying is he built these things. That's verses 5 and 6. Now here's verse 7, and we talked about it last week. Look at verse 7. The house, while it was being built, was built of stone prepared at the quarry, and there was neither hammer nor axe nor any iron tool heard in the house while it was being built. There was no noise. Now, they would take these giant stones and get them and put them all together and make sure they matched perfectly. And then they would bring them to Jerusalem, bring them in and put them down. 
and slide them together, but they didn't use any, any tools because they didn't want any noise. And you'd say, well, why didn't they want any noise? Because it was considered the holy place. And so they didn't want noise. You know, where Jesus sometimes, or the burning bush, he'd say, take off your shoes, you're at the holy ground. This was considered holy ground. And so they said, well, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that sort of thing. And so verse 8 just goes on and describes that the winding stairs. It says the doorway for the lower side chamber was on the right side of the house. And they would go up winding stairs to the middle story and from the middle to the third. So they're just saying there was a place for them to go. In verses 9 and 10, he basically says, he built the house, finished it, covered it with beams and planks. He always gives a summary. And he built the stories against the whole house, each five cubits high. They were fastened to the house with timber. So he built all these rooms, everything along the side. Now, I have to say, you have to say, well, you know, this is a lot of detail. And, and do we need to know this? Well, you don't need to know all this in, in the sense of how big it was. But what you need to know is God is a God of details. And he told them exactly how to build this place. And what does that mean for us? That means God is a God of details and he wants to know all about you and he wants you to know about him and he wants to use you for his glory and he cares about every aspect of your life. See, sometimes we don't think he cares. He cares not only about us, he cares about everything about us. Well, watch verse 11 because this is where uh, God promises to Solomon. Look at verse 11. Now, the word of the Lord came to Solomon, saying, so here comes God, he comes to him, and he's going to give him information. Remember, he's already told him a lot of things. God has come to Solomon, and, and, and let me just say this. How did he come to Solomon? How did he appear? It doesn't tell us. Notice, notice what this verse says. And the word of the Lord came to Solomon, saying, well, how? Did it come by a prophet? It doesn't say that. Did God just appear to Solomon in some way and talk to him? We don't know. It doesn't say. But God brings him information. And what did he say? He said, concerning this house which you are building, if you will walk in my statutes, execute my ordinances, and keep all my commandments by walking in them, then I will carry out my word with you, which I spoke to David, your father. He says, Solomon Solomon's going to always be known forever as the man who built the temple. And he basically says, if you will obey me, I will do what I said I would do. And what did he tell him to do? He said, you got to obey the statutes, the ordinances, and the commandments. Well, what is that? Well, the statutes of what food? You realize the Jewish people, you know this, could only eat certain foods. You could say, can't eat that food. I can eat this food. What about clothes? I can wear these clothes, but I can't wear those clothes. What about planting? I can plant there, but I can't plant over there. And then about ordinances, that were sacrifices. And when we think about the sacrifices, we say, well, they had sacrifices for sin, but they had sacrifices for all kinds of things. And he says, you got to keep those. And when it says commandments, most likely we think he's probably referring to the Ten Commandments. And so basically God says, if you obey me, I will do what I said. And here's what he said. In fact, if it goes on and says, I will dwell among, verse 13, I will dwell among the sons of Israel. I will not forsake my people, Israel. He said, if you'll do what I say, I will fulfill what I said to David. There will not lack a man sitting on the throne. Let me ask you a question. Who's the king of Israel right now? There's no one. A uh, hundred years ago, who was the king of Israel? There wasn't one. They weren't even Israel a hundred years ago. In A.D. 70, before the temple was destroyed and before Jerusalem was stored, uh, stored who was the king of Israel? Wasn't one. You know why? Because Israel is in disobedience to God, and they don't have a king, and they don't get to live in the land, and he took them out of the land. 
He says, if you obey me, you'll get to live in the land and have kings. If you don't obey me, you won't. And so listen at this. The land is always Israel's. But living in the land and having a king on the throne comes by obedience. And when they disobeyed, he removed them from the land. I want you to tell you something. God says that land is his land, and he's given it to Israel. It's still his land. He lets Israel live there. He said, as long as you obey me, I'll let you live in this land. And when you disobey me, I will take you out of this land. And that's exactly what he's done in history. He's taken them out when they didn't do what they were supposed to do. And so in verse 13, look what he goes on to say, I will dwell among the sons of Israel and will not forsake them. If you obey, if they obey, God's with them. If they disobey, God removes them. And, and what happened in 721, the northern empire was taken off by Assyria. 605 BC, the Babylonians, were taken, uh, the Babylonians came in and took them off. God did exactly what he said he would do. Obedience brings blessing and disobedience brings discipline. The same is true for us. We live for God. If you're in, in, a, in fellowship with him and you seek to live for him, you can be blessed in your life. But if you get sin in your life, you live outside, you're contrary to the scripture, there's going to be discipline in your life. But whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every child he receives. Look at verse 14. So Solomon built the house and finished it. Now that's, once again, a summary statement. What happened to that house? The temple was destroyed by the Babylonians in 585 B.C. Never been built back. Never been built back. Do you understand that uh, the, the fat part wasn't the, the other temple built in A.D. 70? That was destroyed, never been built back. And Israel from A.D. 70 wasn't even a country anymore. You understand that from A.D. 70 to 1948, there was no Israel. And if the Antichrist in the future has to make a peace pact with Israel... There has to be an Israel. And from A.D. 70 to 1948, there was no Israel. So when Israel became a nation in 1948, that means we're getting close. Because it couldn't have happened any other time and can happen. So many things. Well, let's, uh, verse 15, it says, He built the walls on the house with cedar and covered them and all. And then, he, and then here's the part I want you to see. Verse 16, He built... 20 cubits on the rear part of the house with boards of cedar from the floor to the ceiling. He built them for the inner sanctuary. Now, here's what I want you to see. In this temple, there was a back room called the Holy of Holies, and there was a front room called the Holy Place, and there was a veil that separated the two rooms. We've talked about this many times. You've seen this many times. This is Solomon's desk. We can say temple. Here's the back room. The Holy of Holies, here's the front room, the holy place. There's the veil which separates it out. This is the altar, picture of Jesus Christ. This is the molten, I'll tell you how in a minute, this picture of Christ. There's the light, he's the light of the world. There's the bread, he's the bread of life. There's the altar of incense, he's the one that makes intercession for us. He's the ark of the cup. Everything in that temple is a picture of Jesus Christ. And so look at verse 16 again. So he built this inner sanctuary. And then verse 17 says he built the front room. So I want you to understand, he's talking about he's building this room and this room. Now those are so special. By the way, let me just show you something. If you were just a regular old person, you could come in this area. He even told them to build seven steps here and eight steps here. So they've built the steps. A, a regular person, a Jewish person, a Gentile could come out here. A Jew could come here. Priests could only come here. A priest, certain priests could only come here 
weekly or daily, and only the high priest could come here once a year. So that's it. Now, let me show you something. Um, <clears throat> what was in the front room? In the front room was bread, a table called showbread, a candle, a big candle thing, and an altar. Now, when Solomon built it, here, here's what it looks like. This is what the bread looked like. This is what the table looked like. It was a golden table. It was a table made out of wood, covered over with gold, and it had bread on it. And the tabernacle only had one of these. In the temple, it had 10 of these, five on each side. Here's the lampstand. Lampstand in the tabernacle only had one of these. In the temple, he had 10 of these. And they lit the area. And then there's the altar of incense, which is in the very back of the room, which always burning. The incense is always going up. It's a picture of prayers and intercession. If you notice, there is the curtain, which is called the veil, because behind this is that back room. And in that back, by the way, let me just remind you something. The bread, they are all pictures of Christ. He's the bread of life. He's the light of the world. He's the one that makes intercession for us. And then the back room was called the Holy of Holies. And back there was the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was the place of the covering for sin. It pointed to the final sacrifice as the payment for sin. Now, if you ever, this is the, a good picture. If you've ever saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, that Ark in that movie was very, was outstanding. And now I want you to see something. This is a box. It's made out of wood. And it's covered over completely with gold. And then there's the rods that go there. They were supposed to be covered with gold. Then there's a top. It's a solid gold lid that sits on top of this box. And they had two angels, two cherubim, and they had their wings out looking down. The priest, the high priest, once a year would come into that back room, take the blood of a bull and the blood of a goat and pour that blood right there. And it was symbolic of covering the nation's sins for a year. And there's the two angels. Some say righteousness and justice, and they're looking down. And that's the tabernacle. That's the te- I mean, excuse me, that's the temple, and that's what is there. It's really powerful. And so when we think about it, this is, I think I have, do I have two slides? Yeah, I have two. This is like a simple one uh, of the altar and the tabernacle. Here's more of a, a detailed one of Solomon's temple. Now, I want to show you something, and then we're going to stop. This is a picture of Jesus Christ. You come in. He's the way and the truth and the life. You come in right here, and there's the altar, which is where sin was paid for, basically covered, but Jesus is the final sacrifice for sin forever. This is the place that they washed. He is the cleansed, perfect one. Here in the This holy place, he is the light of the world. He is the bread of life. He is the one who lives forever to make intercession for us. There is the veil. And the veil was there as long until Jesus Christ paid for sin. And the moment he paid for sin and said, it is finished, that veil tore in the temple from the top to the bottom, showing the way to God is open. This back room is the ark, and it's made out of wood and gold. It's the deity and the humanity of Jesus Christ. And the mercy seat is made out of gold. It is where Jesus takes the blood or takes his own blood and pays for the sins of the world. This building is a picture, a foreshadow of Jesus Christ. In fact, 
Everything in the Old Testament is a foreshadow of Jesus Christ. The great high priest is a foreshadow of Christ. Every sacrifice is a foreshadow of Christ. The temple is a foreshadow of Christ. The feast days are foreshadows of Christ. Everything in the Bible, is Old Testament, is looking forward to the coming Messiah. That's the temple. We'll get more information uh, next time. We'll see more. So let me give you some applications quickly. Let's understand that God cares about the details of our lives, and he does. He cares about everything. There's nothing that is not important to God. You can say, oh, God doesn't care about that. Oh, God doesn't hear my prayers. Oh, God, I couldn't pray about that. That's nothing. God cares about everything. He wants you to pray about everything. He loves you. He wants to know you in a way, and he wants you to know him in a way. And, and, and so he cares about every little thing. So that means what you do with your time and your money and your possessions and your gifts and your talents and your abilities, it's important to God. The second thing, just remember, obedience brings blessing. If you obey God, there'll be blessing in your life. We've seen Israel. That's what he said. He said, if you walk in my statutes and commandments, if you do what I told you to do, everything's going to be fine. If you don't, I'm going to judge you. And he did. He did because they didn't. And in our lives, if we obey God, he'll bless us. If we disobey God, there'll be discipline in our lives. The last one, I just, just remember, realize that we are the temple of God. Now, we got this building they're talking about. It's called the temple, and yet God didn't dwell there. God made his presence known there. But God dwells in us. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. is in you. We're not our own. We've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in our body. And so let me just remind you that they spent money. They spent everything. Everything was detailed and for the glory of God in that temple. Your body, your life is for the glory of God. And so as Colossians 3.17 says, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father by him. And Colossians 3.23 says, do your stuff, do it heartily as unto the Lord, meaning put your heart into it. That means whatever we do for God, let's really do it full speed. Let's do it good. Let's do it with excellence because they built the temple with excellence. And we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So what should we do? How should we live our lives? With excellence, bringing glory to God.